Good morning. Maybe I should just pick up right there, you know? I mean, uh, if we're exercising, looking for thankfulness, I, I, was, I was thinking in the last couple of days and this morning as I got ready to come up here that I'm, I'm encouraged. There's some things I'm encouraged about. And I, I, taking cue from Darren there, it's an opportunity to be thankful for those and to uh, fo- you know, think on that, that, those kinds of things and to give those an opportunity for God to work in our hearts through those. A uh, couple of things I'm thankful for. You know, when I gather here, when I come on a Sunday morning, I'm thankful to see each of you. Uh, it, is, it is a blessing to be with church family. And so you are loved, and, um, and I'm thankful and encouraged by seeing you here. Uh, I, I've been really encouraged. Uh, it feels like pretty much every Sunday morning the last several weeks, I've had an opportunity to introduce myself to some new faces in our church family, people, some of you that I had not met yet. And, uh, and I know there's some that perhaps I have still not had a chance to meet and interact with. And so if that's true of you, uh, don't hesitate to let me know. Come and say hello. Let me know who you are, and I'd look forward to meeting you. But that's something I've been uh, thankful for and encouraged by. And, uh, you know, Pastor Ed already talked about New Friends Lunch, but I would just plug that as well. It's a, it, whether this is your first Sunday today, joining us online or here, or you've been with us months uh, or longer, and yet you feel like you could use an opportunity to be connected, to, to meet some others, and to interact with the staff team, we would love to have you uh, join us next Sunday for New Friends Lunch. Um, I also just want to say I'm thankful for uh, and encouraged by, I've been hearing lots of stories as I interact with you in our church family. I've been hearing lots of examples of God, God's love poured out to you. I've been hearing your examples from you of, of God's love poured out to you. And I love hearing examples too of God's love poured out to us through others in the church family. And I just am so thankful when I hear of, of, of those that are praying for each other and serving each other and coming alongside and looking out for one another and reaching out to. And so I just want to continue to encourage you to be, be a family in those ways and to look for those opportunities to interact with each other, uh, not just on Sunday morning, but uh, between Sunday mornings and, and in the ups and downs of life, looking out for each other and, and uh, making connections where you can. So those are things I'm encouraged by. Uh, and, 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 you know, I think what it adds up to is uh, I, I think it's a great time to be part of the faith church family. I, I, I do. And, and sometimes we maybe, maybe our circumstances don't necessarily make us feel like that all the time. But I just, I, I've been reflecting on in recent days that I think it is a great time to be part of the faith church family. I, when, when you think of all that God has brought us through, when you think of all that he continues to carry us through, uh, it just makes me want to ask, God, what are you up to? How are you going to work in me, in my church family, in us as a church family in, in Dallas and, and in Oregon and beyond? What do you have in store for us, God? What new thing is, are you doing? And, and how, how can we be a part of that? So I think it's exciting. And, uh, and it being an exciting time in our church family, uh, and, and it being opportunity to be family, starts with, pointing each other to Jesus. It starts with reminding each other of what Jesus has done for us. It, it, it starts with recognizing for our own hearts the good news that is the gospel of, of what Jesus has done, his life, death, and resurrection. And so uh, we want to start with that. We want to we do that every Sunday when we gather. We want to consider Christ and what he has done and how he is at work in our lives so that we can receive what God is doing in our lives and so that we can share the hope of Christ uh, with others as well. 
So grab your Bibles and open to Hebrews chapter 12 this morning, if you would. Love seeing those Bibles flip open, love hearing the pages turn, uh, or swiping on your app to find Hebrews and turn to chapter 12. We are uh, continuing in a series that we are calling The Heart of Christ, because we're, we're asking God to bring us to Scripture passages each Sunday where we can study God's Word and where we can look for glimpses of, of who Jesus is at the core. What is he all about? What most naturally pours forth from him? Of all that we know about Jesus, of all that we've seen of Jesus in reading our Bibles, what can we have God show us in these weeks in this series, The Heart of Christ, of at, at his gut level, who he is? How does Jesus approach us and respond to us? So, You'll find here Hebrews 12 may be a familiar passage to some of you. These first couple of verses, might, you might find some familiar uh, words here. There, there's some, uh, you know, some theology to explore, some, some significant indications here of what Jesus has done for us. But I'm, I'm curious to see if you, uh, like me, will find in these couple of verses... Uh, an aspect that maybe we don't take as much time to consider usually. A, a phrase in there in those first couple of verses that we don't usually, is not usually the emphasis of our reflection on these, on these verses. So um, let's, let's take a look at these couple of verses together this morning. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... What's going on here? The, the imagery here is a, is a full, an athletic stadium full of, of fans cheering. The, the picture here is of a running race going on in this athletic stadium and, and this cloud of witnesses, this surrounding crowd uh, watching. And, and as always, it's helpful to look back a little bit. As we start chapter 12... We think back to chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is sometimes referred to as the hall of faith. And we've studied this together before. And chapter 11 goes, goes through all these people that loved God and served him with their life. The, chapter 11 is this great list of spiritual athletes, so to speak. People that have followed God and lived for him. And, it's, and, and now we get this picture of a stadium of witnesses, these, these followers of Jesus that are there cheering us on. It's as if they're saying to us, hey, we did it. With God's help, we were able to do it. Now you can too. And so they're cheering us on. And so, therefore, since we are surrounded... By such a great cloud of witnesses, let's keep going. Verse 1 continues like this. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us lay aside every weight, every hindrance, every obstacle and sin which clings so closely. Sin is a, a term for when we go against God, when, when we go against, when we disobey God's laws, when we go against what is, what is best, what he says is best, what his good purposes have for us. And because uh, ever since the fall in Genesis chapter 3, our hearts by nature and by choice are filled with sin and going our own way and rebelling against God. And so there's, there's these former followers of God cheering us on, saying we could do it with God's help, now you can too. Lay aside obstacles, hindrances, weights, 
set aside the sin. Notice that, um, that sin, that phrase that says, sin which clings so closely. If you think about the things that you struggle with and the ways that you rebel against God, does that phrase, is that phrase striking? The sin that clings so closely. There are, there are things that we stumble into uh, just occasionally, but there are sins, I think, often for each of us that cling so closely that these are ones that we are prone to. These are ones that we fall back into even after we've repented and turned to God and sought forgiveness and asked for his help. There are sins that cling so closely. And, and, and the opportunity that we have with our great and loving God is to repent of our sins, to turn away from sin, and turn to him. To repent means to turn away and turn to God, to ask for forgiveness, and then, and then leave it behind, lay it aside. But that phrase also says, let us lay aside every weight. You know, the, the idea here is, is strip off, get rid of, push aside anything that is hindering you in your, in your relationship with Jesus. Anything that is getting in the way of your relationship with God, push it aside, strip it off, get rid of it. There are those sins, there are specific sins and ways that we go against God that, that, that the Holy Spirit convicts us of or that God's word shows us are wrong and that we become aware of. But there are also just other things in our lives, other places we go, things we read, uh, what we look at, who we talk to, the kinds of conversations we have. There's other things that, that may be okay, actually on the surface, may, nothing be, may not be anything wrong with them or, or, or maybe not. But, but these are obstacles, these are weights, these are things that then push us towards sin. They're things that don't put us in, on the right path, they're places that we go, things that we look into that, that, that are obstacles, that are weights, that push us down the wrong path. And so there's strong language here. Followers of God are cheering us on, saying, we've done it, so can you. Strip that off, push it aside, keep fighting for what is pure and holy, keep looking to the one who is your rescuer and savior and master. So, when it comes to our sin, the room gets quiet. When it comes to our sin, we feel a little, little burden on our heart and mind, recognizing perhaps God by his spirit showing us where we fall short of his glory, where we cannot match up, where on our own efforts we do not match his holy standard. So, but when it comes to sin church family, Jesus is good news. Jesus is good news. Jesus brings good news. Jesus makes forgiveness possible. Jesus makes it possible for us to be in relationship with God the Father, despite that, that experience of our sin. So we want to experience this good news of Jesus, don't we? And do we want to experience this, this good news of Jesus in such a way that we can point others to the hope in Jesus? Yes, then, then, then we push aside these hindrances, we push aside these weight, we seek forgiveness for sin, and, 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 and we want to share this good news, but before there's good news, there usually is bad news. Before the good news becomes really good news to our hearts, we have to reckon a little bit with the bad news. We have to come to grips with our need. 
And so it's not our favorite topic to come and, and, and consider the idea of sin in our life and what God might want to put on our hearts and minds right now as, as, far, as far as how we go astray or, or give him the Heisman and reject him. It's not our favorite topic, but, but if we don't grapple a bit with this, if we don't reckon with our need for God, then, then we don't get to experience the good news in such a good, 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 good way. So, what have you done? What have I done that goes against God? Where are you stuck? The sin that clings so closely that you find it easy to fall back into and fall back into and fall back into. Where are you tempted to hide from God? What do you think you can't talk to him about? What, 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 what goes on in your heart and mind? What goes on in your life that perhaps there's so much shame you're not sure you can even talk to him about, not go to him for? And when you consider the darkness of your heart, the depths of your sin, what do you think Jesus does when he finds out? What picture comes to your mind at first if, if we're not if we're not careful, if we're not thoughtful, if we're not seeking what the Bible says about God's character and love for us and what Jesus has done for us, what might we accidentally think of in our mind about how he's going to respond? Do we, do we get an idea sometimes that, that our depravity, our sinful nature, our going against God makes, makes God kind of look at us like, ew, repelled? You know, I said, I think I said last Sunday, do we picture him holding us at arm's length like a stinky diaper? When we turn to him, I said we should repent of sin, we should turn to him and, and ask for forgiveness. Do, 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 you, do we think that when, he, when we turn to him, that he's going, Pastor Derek, again? You again? Are we as if we're a drain on him? As if uh, we're too needy? And we come too often, so we need to, we need to dial it back a bit. We, we think we maybe need to figure out a way to give God a break from our disaster. Back to verse 1. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. There is a cloud of witnesses, those that have loved God and lived for God, who are cheering us on, saying, we were able to do it with God's help, so can you. So lay aside those hindrances and sin and run with endurance the race that is set before us. Friends, church family, we can finish the race well. We can finish the race of life well to God's glory if we rely on him and recognize that he is our guide and he is our strength and it's not by my own power, it's all his work in me, that it's not about what I have done and what I do, and how I fall short, but it's all about what Jesus has already done for us. So therefore, we can run with endurance. We can finish the race well. We can live our lives to God's glory despite the sins that entangle these hindrances. And the passage continues. Since we know we can run with endurance and we can finish well, it gives us, the, it gives us instruction. Verse 2, looking to Jesus, 
Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the founder of our faith. He's the author of our faith. He initiates our faith. He bestows our faith, our salvation upon us. Also, perfecter of our faith. When you think about Jesus and all that we know of, of him in the Bible, Jesus is, is the ultimate example of a, of a human following God. Jesus is the ultimate example of faith, of living out a life of faith. Jesus, who is fully God, came to be fully human, lived among us, experienced what we experience, and as, as his earthly example he is the perfect example of living by faith. He, he experienced the full spectrum of what it means to be human. He didn't, just, he didn't just pretend to be human so we'd get to know him. He became a human and experienced the full spectrum of what it means to be human. And, and yet, he lived what, and in a way that we cannot. He lived without sin. He was completely free from sin. He was able, he was the perfect, the perfecter of our faith. He was the only example of living by the Spirit, dependent on God's guiding him in his life, was the perfect example of living by faith in God. And he was the greatest example of a life lived to God's glory. So that's the example that we have. That's the example that we have in Jesus. That's the rescuer and master that we have in Jesus. Verse 2 says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, who endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I think another thing we might need to think about if we're, if we're not careful is we might think about the cross. We might say, yeah, yeah, Jesus was fully human. He came to earth. He went to the cross but we also know he's fully God, so I'm sure the cross was not that big of a deal. I'm sure, you know, he's God, so it couldn't have been that tough. Perhaps it was easy for him. I think we, we, if we're not careful, we might think, man, you know, he's God. Of course he could handle the cross. But what did we say is true about him? Fully God, absolutely, 100% divine, God himself come to be with us in the flesh, and 100% taking on the form of a human man and, 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 and experiencing all that we experience as humans. So was the cross easy? No. No matter how long you've been a follower of Jesus, no matter how many times you've considered that Jesus died for you, no matter how often you've heard the story of the cross, I, we can't, we can't just skimp by this and not sometimes take an extra minute to consider what Jesus endured, not just it was easy for him because he was God. What did Jesus endure on your behalf, on my behalf? Excruciating physical pain. The most horrendous type of, of torturous death that life had to offer at that time. And the scripture that we just read says he endured it. It wasn't just that, yeah, yeah, I'll get through that real quick so I can do what God says I'm supposed to do. Fully human, he endured in this excruciating pain. And there was spiritual pain, so to speak, as well. He, Jesus was sinless. 
Jesus was without sin, and yet he took the weight of all of our sin, yours and mine, past, present, and future. He took the weight of that burden, of that shame, of that guilt of sin upon himself, even though he had never done anything right, even though he was pure and holy and without sin. He experienced the weight and burden of that sin and endured God's wrath poured out against sin on him at the cross. What does this tell us, church family, about the heart of Christ? What does this tell us about Jesus' posture toward us? Is he repelled? Is he holding us at arm's length like a stinky diaper? When you turn to him, does he say, you again? What? What does this passage and what does we, do we know about Jesus that tells us about his heart? Where he's coming from? What we mean to him? How he, res- he responds to us? The cross was intended to shame Jesus, but the scripture says he scorned the shame. He shamed the shame. The, sh- the cross was meant to, to embarrass and ridicule and bring him down. And Jesus scorned the shame and said, you know what? I've got plans for this. I'm going to use this according to God's glory and for the good of my people. Jesus looked beyond the difficulties of the cross. He he, he saw the difficulties in front of him. He even in the Garden of Gethsemane wondered if there was any other way he could accomplish God's plan. Jesus looked beyond the difficulties to what God had in store on the other side of the cross. You may have noticed when we were reading verse 2, I skipped a phrase. Let's not skip that phrase. Jesus looked beyond the difficulties of the cross to what God had in store on the other side of the cross. What the verse says is that we are to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the what? For the joy that was set before him. This is, this is mind-boggling if we think about it. For the joy set before him endured the cross. We just talked about what it meant to endure the cross. What all he was willing to go through. And yet the scripture tells us it was for the joy that was set before him. He saw the realities of the cross coming. And yet, and yet he said, It's of little consequence. He saw what the cross would mean and what he would have to endure, but he saw it as insignificant in comparison to the joy that he had in fulfilling God's plan, the joy that he had in bringing about your forgiveness and your salvation, the joy that he had on the other side of the cross of being ascending into heaven and being seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus looked beyond the difficulties to what God had in store. And as followers of Jesus, you and I have an opportunity to look beyond the difficulties of our circumstances, the painful trials and tribulations that God puts in our lives daily, weekly, monthly, yearly. We have an opportunity to to look beyond those difficulties to what God has in store. Jesus, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him. What joy? What joy? I mean, we just described the cross. 
But what joy? I mean, we've already said it. He had the, the joy of, of, of completing God's mission in mind. He had the joy in mind of providing you and I with forgiveness of sin and salvation and new life for all of eternity. The gospel is the spectacular good news that God rescues sinners like you and I, rebellions, rebel, rebels against him, that God rescues sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You know, we sang earlier, I love this, we sang earlier, Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Our rescue, our forgive, being forgiven of sin and being rescued from sin and death and brought into new life, that's the blood applied. The cross wasn't senseless violence and unnecessary bloodshed. The blood Jesus applied, he applied to you and me. He applied it. Thank you, Jesus, for the blood applied. Thank you, I have been washed white. Thank you, what's the next lyric? I wrote it down somewhere. You have saved my life. That's, that's what we were singing about. Jesus saw ahead through the excruciating reality of the cross. Jesus saw ahead to the joy of finishing what God had given him to do, of bringing about our forgiveness, of making our, you and I, sinful rebels right with a holy and perfect God. He had in mind the joy of seeing us transformed into the likeness of Jesus, and then he had in mind the joy of, of being back with the Father, seated at the right hand, and reigning over all things. I got a question for you. I was thinking I would tie this to professions, but I won't. I mean, to like what you do for a living, but I won't. But you could. But let me just ask a more generic question. How many of you enjoy helping other people? Okay, I think what's hilarious about that is if you didn't raise your hand, I'd just put you in a really bad spot. <laughs> no, but how many of us help, like helping others? I mean, I think, I think most of us do. Some are more inclined. Some are more good or better at it. Some are, it comes more naturally. Um, I didn't mean to shame you if you didn't raise your hand. <laughs> but I'm thinking of it, but here's why I'm asking. I'm, I'm thinking about this. If, if we enjoy helping others, and let's just, I don't know, think of an example in your mind, whether it's what you do for a living, whether it's something you're good at, whether it's a skill you have, whether it's something about your heart that comes out to other people. You know, imagine that you have the, the, the tools that someone else needs, that you have the medicine that someone else needs, that you have, um, uh, I don't know, what's another example? You, you have, you know, the, the, the labor for helping someone out. You have the time, you have the energy, you have your, the spiritual gift that is needed to help this person out, to be a blessing. Imagining that? You're ready, you like to help, you've got something that they need, you're ready to help, and they reject you. And don't receive that help. How does that help? How does that feel? It doesn't feel great. Now what if something shifted? Now what if something shifted for them, and all of a sudden they thought, okay, mm, uh, and they got more open, and they were re ready to receive, and they recognize the opportunity they had to receive the help from you, and so they did. They allowed you to use your gift, your time, your energy, your skills, your money, whatever it is that you were bringing along. What does that bring for you? Happiness. Joy. It feels good to do what we're made to do. It brings us joy to serve other people. It brings us joy to use the way God has wired me. And so 
when someone rejects our opportunity to help, it hurts. But when they receive the help, it brings joy. How have we wrongly considered what Jesus thinks or feels in terms of how he approaches us or how he receives us when we're a mess and we come to him? How have we wrongly considered that? How have, have we pictured being held at arm's length? Have we pictured at times him shaking his head and going, you're not worth it. You're not worth the, the, me enduring the cross. I can't do that for you. Instead of us hesitating before we go to God, instead of us going to him only occasionally, I, I don't want to go to him too often, he's probably getting tired of me, instead of going to him only in case of emergency, instead of us thinking that we somehow bog him down or that it's somehow a drain on him for us to seek forgiveness and seek new life, instead of us thinking that we irritate him, let's consider him differently. Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, points out, that Jesus finds joy when we come to him for rescue and help. He is, this is, this is mind-blowing. He is, com- Jesus is comforted when he can comfort us. Remember we just said, what's it like to want to help someone and be rejected? Jesus lives, his heart desires to serve you, to love you, to help you, to forgive you, to lead you, to guide you, to bring you new life. And if we hold him back of that, we're, we're taking away joy. When we allow Jesus to do what he came to do, we're allowing him to have joy. Ortland points out that, that uh, Jesus is comforted when we seek comfort in him. And we said last Sunday that Jesus' default posture is not a pointed finger like we sometimes feel. His default posture is open arms. Jesus lives to be there for us. Is that how we see him? So, uh, speaking of Dane Ortland, I'll just do the little reminder, little plug here, that Dane Ortland's book, uh, Gentle and Lowly, is free. It's available in the lobby. We got, we got tons of free copies. We'd love to share them with you. If you didn't grab one yet already, you're certainly welcome to grab one. In fact, the signs in the lobby say, take one per family. I'm just going to go ahead and throw that out now and say, feel free to take a couple per couple, a couple per family. If you can use them, if, if you have enough people interested in reading it and using it as a supplemental reading, as a resource for you in the next few weeks, something to encourage your heart about who Jesus is, that he's gentle and lowly. There's free copies in the lobby, so be sure to take uh, one or two per family. If you're joining us online, uh, you're welcome to come by the church anytime, and there's a box outside the main doors uh, underneath the carport where you can pick up your copies so that we would love to, we'd love to bless you with these free copies. This book was a tremendous encouragement to me a few months ago. We got a hold of some free copies, and so we're able to share those with you. Uh, and then in addition to that, I'll just mention that every Sunday I'm going to update um, our website. If you go to faithchurchdallas.org and you click on News and Updates, every Sunday there'll be a new post that'll say, um, gentle and lowly, week number two, 
resources. And you'll find links to other things that might, you might find encouraging. You'll find a suggestion about which chapters in the book you should read this coming week if you want to kind of keep up with us and add that to your learning. And then you'll also see on, the, on that page some questions that you could just kind of just reflect on yourself as you spend time with God this week. Or if you connect with other uh, believers in our church family, you could use those questions to uh, discuss together. But encourage you to check that out. Here's another quote from the book from Dane Ortland. Look on the screen. When you come to Christ for mercy and love and help in your anguish and perplexity and sinfulness, you are going with the flow of Jesus' deepest wishes, not against them. So again, I just, I just wanted to kind of see if we could this morning consider perhaps what are familiar verses, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, but by looking a little more at that who for the joy part than we normally would, I wanted to say if we could, if we could consider that phrase a bit more than we sometimes would in our Bible study, I, I wanted to see if God would help us this morning to kind of shake the idea that, that Jesus' posture is, is somehow kind of opposed to us or, or that we're a drain on him or that we shouldn't bother him too often. But rather, what, the, what it says on the screen, when you come to Christ for mercy and love and help in your anguish and perplexity and sinfulness, you are going with the flow of Jesus' deepest wishes. This is a glimpse of the heart of Christ. Because Jesus, church family, here's, here's where we'll end. Jesus joyfully went about rescuing you. It wasn't, oh man, this is going to be terrible and I'm not sure these people are worth it. Jesus joyfully went about God's rescue plan so that he could look forward to the joy of seeing you forgiven, seeing you made right with God, seeing you find salvation, life now and life eternally. Jesus went about this joyfully to make you clean and then have you transformed from the inside out and being made into a new person. Jesus went about this uh, joyfully, he went about this with so much love for you that he willingly went to the cross, that he willingly obeyed the Father's plan to bring about the free gift of salvation from our loving God to us rebellious sinners. Jesus joyfully and willingly went about fulfilling God's plan even though it called for his brutal execution and burial, and then glorious resurrection from the dead. So don't, church family, don't run to Jesus with hesitation. When you need him, when you recognize your sin, when you know you're falling into the sin that, that, follows so, that clings so closely, don't, don't go hesitatingly to Jesus. Don't, don't hold back from him because you're not sure you should bother him again. Run to the open arms of Christ, knowing that he loves you, that he's there for you, and that his deepest heart desires to heal, to forgive, and to rescue. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for opportunities to look to your word. And God, I pray that even when we look at familiar verses, 
that we would know that you can speak to us in fresh ways, that, that by your spirit, you can show us what you have for us in your word. So God, as we uh, consider who you are, who your son Jesus is, Father, would you correct our thinking? Would you, would you correct us if we have a false understanding of who Jesus is? God, would you correct our thinking to recognize him as gentle and lowly, as understanding, as, as understanding and approachable? God, correct our, our, our image of you. If, if we have a false impression of you and your reaction to us, your posture toward us when we sin, God, correct us so that we don't point a, a, so that we don't picture a pointed finger, but your open arms of love. God, it's incredible for us to ponder that it's your heart, that it's your deepest wish, your desires for us to come to you, that you are comforted when you comfort us. So, Father, would we not hesitate to come to you for all that we need? And then as we find grace, not condemnation from you, as we find forgiveness of sin from you, as we find unconditional love that you have for us, God, I pray that that would change us into new people that would be able to help others find you as well. That our experience of your love poured into us would overflow out of us so that others could know of your love and be pointed toward the good news of Jesus. Thank you, Father, for the blood applied. Thank you, Father, it has washed me white. Thank you, Father, you have saved my life. In Jesus' name, amen.